Good morning, church. How are we doing? All right. Well, it is good to be here with you guys. I want to say welcome to everybody, including uh, all of our campuses. We are glad that you guys are here with us. Uh, Today, we are going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, your devices, or whatever you use, you can go ahead and get there. If you don't have one, there should be... uh, Excuse me, there should be a uh, Bible in the seat somewhere nearby you, so you can go ahead and get ready for that. Um, But first, one thing that uh, many people may or may not know about me, or some people might even be surprised to hear about me, is that I actually really do enjoy uh, outdoorsy kinds of activities. Not all of them, but many of them I really do enjoy. Now, I get that on the uh, exterior, I might not look like the most, uh, you know, rugged, outdoorsy kind of person. I can't grow a a manly beard uh, whenever I wear flannel or plaid. It's usually, you know, ironed and starched and everything. But it really, on the inside, I do enjoy outdoor kinds of activities, especially going to the mountains, camping, uh, trail hiking, skiing, things like that. Um, But one of the things that I really love as well is that in the past few years, my kids have gotten into it with me, which has been really fun. Uh, just this past week, actually, uh, my middle son, Ben, who's kind of always been up for adventure, he asked me if we could go camping together. And so, you know, of course, we, I was really excited about that. And so I did what every dad did, does, and uh, we set up a tent, uh, you know, in the backyard, 20 feet away from air conditioning, and we stayed up and played Battleship. But, but we enjoy it. We have lots of fun. And so you can imagine uh, our uh, excitement uh, when just recently I discovered a new TV show. Uh, I had never heard of this before. I hadn't seen it. Maybe some of y'all have seen this show. It's a show that just started airing a couple of years ago on the History Channel, uh, a TV show called Alone. Has anybody seen it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. Well, we just discovered this recently, and so me and my boys got kind of all all nerded out over it, and we were really excited, and so we watched a few episodes of it. And the idea behind this uh, TV show, this series, if you haven't seen it or don't know what it's about, is they take about uh, like 10 or 12 people, something like that. They've had a few seasons do it a little bit different, but they take 10 or 12 people, um, people who've been trained in, uh, you know, survival skills, like, you know, starting fires and, you know, hunting for your food and all that kind of stuff. And they take these people and they go and they drop them off in these like remote places, like way out in the wilderness in Canada. They've been to South America, different places. And they've got uh, this list of things that they can choose from, but they get to go out there and they just have this uh, small handful of like emergency supplies that they get to use uh, to go and survive out in the wilderness. They give them a few cameras that they kind of set up and they can, you know, document their experience a little bit. Um, But they go out there in the wilderness and they're dropped off and they're just supposed to survive out there completely alone. Uh, with no contact with people, no phones, no internet, no nothing, just drop them out there and they're completely alone. And the winner of the show is the person who stays out there the longest without, they call it tapping out. Everybody gets a little, uh, like a radio, and if they decide that they want to give up, then they can uh, call in on the radio and have the rescue team come and pick them up. And so the winner of this show is the person who makes it the farthest without ever giving up. And it's really Really, really uh, interesting to me, and for those of you guys especially who, you know, have this kind of sense of adventure and want to go out and do, uh, you know, fun stuff, exploring things like that, it kind of uh, sounds uh, really appealing, right? I mean, sometimes for us, the, uh, uh, the challenge of solitude looks pretty enticing compared to the struggles of living with people, amen, right? 
And so for uh, some of us, uh, you know, this, this idea of going out there and trying to survive on our own or just being, uh, you know, excluded out there in the wilderness, it, this sounds really, really enticing or appealing because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that I'm probably not the only person in this room who's ever had the dream or the thought of chucking it all for, you know, a tent and a hatchet and going Davy Crockett style out into the wild blue yonder, right? Like, like a lot of us kind of have this, you know, fantasy or desire about that. And, and really, it's, uh, it, it sounds good. It sounds fun, just me and my Boy Scouts manual and freedom, you know, peace, simplicity, just to be alone. Uh, but my, my question is, uh, are we really meant for that? And you don't have to watch this show very long to see that even like the most trained and the most you know, rugged of us, uh, it's a struggle. Uh, some people even start giving up within 24 hours. Now, I remember watching the episode, and there was one guy. He wasn't the first to go out, by the way, uh, but he got out. He tapped out within, uh, uh, within two days, and it was really funny, his, uh, his reason. When they came and they picked him up on the boat, they shipped it out there, and they got him, and they were filming the whole thing, uh, and he said, you know, it's just not worth it to me because I have too many people who are counting on me. Because, see, we're just not really meant to be alone. And as dangerous and as difficult as this may sound to do this out in the wild, I think, church, that for us it is just as difficult and just as dangerous for us to do this in the church. Sometimes we get this idea that we can follow Jesus alone. Just, just me and Jesus, right? And we have the desire to do that, and sometimes this tendency to seclude ourselves and isolate ourselves, separate ourselves from the rest of the body of Christ. And honestly, I think that there's probably uh, some reasons that aren't completely invalid for why we do that. I mean, we give a lot of different excuses. We say, you know, oh, I, don't have a, uh, I just don't have enough time. There's too many things that I have in my life. And, and, and believe me, I understand like, we've got three little kids, we just signed one up for soccer, we've done golf, and we've done piano lessons and ballet, and, and we've got, you know, jobs and a life and all sorts of things, and like, I get it, I get it. We've got a lot of things going on, so to try and squeeze one more thing into our schedule sometimes for a lot of us is, is just tough, it's hard. Uh, but a lot of us maybe are even like, you know, well, I'm just, I'm just not really a people person. You know, like all you, you know, weirdos who are out there and you're like social butterflies and you like to go talk to people you've never met before, like you guys can have that, but that's just, that's just not me. Like, I understand. But I think probably even more so in today's day and age, in our culture, I think maybe one of the bigger reasons why uh, sometimes we have the tendency to isolate ourselves is, is if we're honest, we, we just kind of get disappointed with the church. Right? Because people... People can be disappointing and, and frustrating, and they let you down. And, and it's not always this, you know, magical thing that, you know, we hope it's going to be, uh, but we get frustrated with people. I mean, you've probably heard uh, this quote that's been attributed to Gandhi, um, but it said that, uh, he said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Has anybody, has anybody else ever felt that before? Like, just to have that frustration with the church. We get tired and we get frustrated and we get disappointed by people in the church. It's been said that uh, ministry would be great if it weren't for all the people. And believe me, I get it, because sometimes y'all are just weird. I mean, not me, you know, I'm totally normal and, and everything, but you guys sometimes are just weird, right? We get, we get disappointed, we get frustrated, and we wonder, we wonder, is it really worth it? 
You know, at best, uh, the church is just a, a whole bunch of weirdos getting together, and at worst, it's a, it's a big group of hypocrites. And so we get tired, we get frustrated, and sometimes we tend to separate and isolate ourselves from the rest of the body. But, but I want to say this. The problem uh, isn't the frustrations that we sometimes have that come from being connected with a uh, community that is not yet perfected on this side of eternity. See, the, the problem... The problem is that the gospel simply doesn't allow for that kind of thinking. It doesn't. You can look all through Scripture, and, it, and there's nowhere we can find this type of living or this type of thinking, the idea that I can just take my Bible, and it's just me and Jesus, and we'll, we'll go out and we'll do our own thing, and that's all I need. In fact, after all, isn't like faith a personal thing? Isn't that like my own personal relationship with Jesus anyway? And yes, faith is personal. But faith is never private. And so if there's one thing that I want us to see today from Scripture, one thing that I want us to learn, it's this. It's that you can't love Jesus alone. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, so if you've already got your Bibles and uh, you want to join me there, uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time there. We're going to actually skip around to a lot of different Scripture today, but that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. And so... Uh, uh, we're going to look uh, in chapter 12. One of the interesting things about this uh, particular book, it's been called the, uh, greatest, uh, the Paul's Greatest Exposition of the Gospel. And it's really, uh, it's really cool at this point in the, uh, in the book, in Romans, in chapter 12, Paul kind of makes this unique switch. Because all the way up through this point, uh, for the most part, Paul has de been dealing with uh, how we think how we believe our theology, our understanding of God and the gospel. And all of a sudden, here in chapter 12, he makes a switch and he changes from what we think, what we believe, to how we live. How does that work out in the life of a Christian? And so we're going to look mostly at verses 3 through 8, but I think it's important for us to get a little bit of an understanding of where's Paul coming from, kind of the context for the situation. And so I want to go ahead and read for us here in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and Paul writes this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I think this is a, also this is a good uh, verse for us to transition off of the series that we just did this past month. We talked about think and about engaging our minds uh, in our faith and engaging others to think about the truth and about the gospel. And here Paul says that if we want to be transformed into the image of Christ, if we want to be renewed and made uh, like him, then what does it start with? It begins with the renewing of your mind. See, the gospel and the transformed life starts with right thinking, and then it moves into right living. But then he goes on here in verses 3 through 8, and I'm not sure if we got the slides because we had some computer problems, so if it doesn't, just follow along with me here. And it says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so <clears throat> Paul says in here, starting out in verse 3, he used this interesting word, he says, for. For. Now, that's just a little small and significant word, and we don't have to look at the Greek to see what that means to understand the importance. That's, that's a conjunction. What's it doing there? It's showing that the thought that Paul just had is linked to the statement that he's about to make. And so when he talks about being transformed into the likeness of Christ, I find this fascinating that what Paul does, he doesn't connect this with, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be transformed in his image, then let me give you a list of rules to follow. Uh, some behaviors that you have to do. Do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. If you want to look like Jesus, then it's this list of what to do and what not to do and these certain rules and behaviors. That's not what Paul says. I find it fascinating here that when Paul says, if you want to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, you know what it starts with? It starts with how we relate to and invest in one another. That's interesting. To, to follow Jesus and to be made in his likeness. And the first thing on his mind is how we relate to and connect with one another in the body. And so uh, he continues on there, and in verse 4 and 5, uh, he begins to use this image, this metaphor of the body of Christ, right? And you've probably heard that before. This is actually one of Paul's favorite metaphors that he uses for the church. He uses it here in Romans 12. He'll say it again in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. He'll mention it in Colossians chapter 3, and it's a huge theme throughout the book of Ephesians. So it's probably something that we should pay attention here. And he describes the church, the people, as the body of Christ, and how each one of us, we, we may be different, right? I, I may be a hand, and you may be a foot, or a elbow, or whatever it is. I don't know what parts you play in the body, but we all have these different parts, and we serve a unique and individual purpose, but his point is, each of us, each of us is connected to and inseparable from one another. We are all part of the body of Christ. <clears throat> And then he says something that I find really fascinating here. Uh, just this little statement that he tucks away at the end of verse 5. I don't know if you, if you caught it, if you saw it, so I'll, I'll read it to you again. He said, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And he says this, and each member belongs to all the others. Huh. You know, in uh, <clears throat> today's culture, we have a... Uh, uh, a tendency to uh, kind of promote isolation, right? Now, I know that we've got uh, Facebook and we've got Twitter and, you know, all these uh, different social media kind of things, and it's true that we are more connected as a people than we have ever been before, but I look at that and I also see at the same time that the statistics are saying that people are feeling more lonely and more isolated and more depressed than they've ever been. So, so why is that? And I think it's because we have a culture that promotes individuality over community. That me is more important than we. And that's a dangerous thing, not only in the culture, but also in the church. We focus on individual rights, right? 
Like, you can't tell me what to do. Like, I'm my own person. I'm going to do what I want to do and believe what I want to believe. And, and, and you're not the boss of me. Uh, we live in this culture that, that says me is more important than we. And we can see this everywhere. It's why we have a culture where so many kids are growing up in single-parent households. And, and many times because a, a father or a mother says, I don't want to have anything to do with this. This is, this is too much responsibility. This is, this is inconvenient for me, and so, so I'm out of here. I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Uh, what, what's good for me is more important than what's good for us. Or possibly, I, I know that this isn't really a, uh, uh, a popular topic to topic. Well, maybe it's talked about often, but it's not really an easy topic. But I wonder, um, if, if we don't live in a culture of isolation, then how is it? Then how is it that the life of an unborn baby has somehow turned into a discussion about what is good or convenient for my body? Have I got that about right? See, church, we live in a time and in a culture of isolation where we elevate the individual over the community, and the problem is that there's simply no room for that in the church. As I read through the gospel and through the Bible more and more and more, I just, I just don't see it. It's just not there. See, the, the truth is we're, we're not our own. The truth, according to the Bible, is that you don't belong to you. You belong to me. And I belong to you. And that message is clear throughout the whole Bible. We belong to each other, church, as one body. And so Paul continues on. Also, I love this. In the next few verses, he starts talking about those gifts that God has given us, how he's uh, designated each one of us to be a, a specific role in the body of Christ, right? And then he shows all these different kind of gifts, whether it be prophesying or uh, you know, serving, teaching, encouragement, all these different things. And it's funny because as you look at these uh, gifts in this list here, it becomes very apparent that God does not give gifts the way that you and I give gifts, right? Or at least the way that most of us give gifts. Like if I've got uh, one of my younger kids uh, and it's their birthday or Christmas or something like that when we give, you know, gifts, things like that, what do we do? We get them a, a toy or a book or clothes or a movie, you know, whatever it is. We get them something that we think they're going to enjoy, right? Something they can play with, something that they can be entertained by, something that we think is good for them. But as you look at the way that God gives gifts, it's, it's really quite different, because as I go through this list, one of the things that stands out to me immediately is the fact that none of these gifts are to be used by or enjoyed by or uh, benefited by the person who, to whom God gives them. Did you see that? God gives you the gift of teaching. Who does that benefit, you or somebody else? Or the gift of generosity and giving. Does that, does that benefit you or does that benefit somebody else? See, when God gives gifts... He gives them so that it can be used through you to benefit other people. So, fellas, next time you give your wife like a blender or something like that, you can say, I'm just trying to be like God here so that you can benefit, you know, the rest of the family here. Actually, you probably shouldn't do that. That'll get you in trouble. But nonetheless, you get the idea, right? When God gives us gifts, they are not to be used for ourselves, but to be extended to other people. And in fact, if you look at each individual ones of these gifts, if they're hoarded, if they're turned inward upon oneself, then they turn disastrous. They turn to isolation. They turn to hoarding. They turn to pride and arrogance. They don't turn into anything that is good for the body. But God has designed us 
to live and uh, to live and commune together. And I know that sometimes that's hard. I know that it is difficult. Uh, working together is hard, right? If you don't believe me, you've obviously never been in a three-legged race before, right? Something so incredibly easy as walking, and now you do it with somebody else, and like you're tripping all over yourselves, like you're, you know, you're learning to walk all over again. Working together is hard, but it's how God designed us to be. Now, um, one thing I want to do next is, um, uh, if you've got your uh, bulletins there on the back of here, the note-taking type, um, there's, a, uh, there's a bunch of blanks there for you. There's a list. I wish that we had a lot more time to, to go through this in more depth. We could really probably spend an entire series just on this topic, but we simply don't have the time. And so what I want to do is just go through and give you five, I'm sure there are probably many more, but for today's purposes, give you five reasons why it is so essential, why it is necessary, why we need Christ-centered community based on Scripture. So the first one, uh, the reason we need Christ-centered community is this, it reflects the glory of God. Now, we've talked about uh, this. Actually, this uh, idea has come up a couple of times in the past couple of months, how we are designed to be, we are created to be image bearers of Jesus. We are designed to reflect God's glory. That's what he made us to do and made us to be, right? And when we are in community with one another, we are actually reflecting God's glory. We can see this all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 1, when God is making everything at the very beginning there. Are you familiar with the story? And God makes the, the light and the waters and the animals and all this different stuff. And then finally when he gets to mankind, when he gets to you and me and he creates us, it says something really, really interesting there. When he's talking about you and I, how he's designed us, it says in Genesis 1.26, it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, it would be really strange if you came up and talked to me and I started talking about myself in the first person plural, right? Have you ever known like weird people that do stuff like that? You know, they talk about themselves in third person or something. Like if you came up to me afterwards and you're like, hey, Jared, let's go to lunch together. Where would you like to go? And I said something like, um, I think we want to go to McDonald's because a hamburger is our favorite food. You'd be like, this is a weird guy, right? Like, like it would just sound kind of strange. So, so what's happening here? Is God just like getting his pronouns wrong or did somebody translate this kind of funny or something? Well, well no. No, the, the interesting thing here is the first time in Scripture that we see uh, the Bible talking about God's nature, His image, His likeness, it talks about God in the plural. Because when we were designed, when we were made, we were made to be in the likeness of God, and God in Himself is community. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God three in one, Right, that mystery that we don't exactly fully understand how it works because it's beyond our comprehension, but we were made in his likeness and God in himself is community. So when we live in community, we are reflecting the glory of God as we were designed to do. So number two is this, we're gonna keep moving, we gotta move fast, uh, is that uh, the reason we need Christ-centered community is because it is the command of Christ. Now, I apologize, I had to chop uh, several scriptures that I wanted to use here, but I'm going to just land on this one. Um, 
In the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and 15, uh, we see uh, this really beautiful section of Scripture, this, this almost four-chapter section of red letters here, where Jesus knows he is about to die. Like, tomorrow, the people are going to come, they're going to arrest him, he's going to go off, he's going to be crucified. Like, this is his purpose, this is what he came for. He has less than 24 hours to live, and these are the words that Jesus is saying, this is what is on his mind. It's interesting as he's talking with his disciples and he's praying to Jesus in chapter 14, uh, he repeats this really interesting thing, this idea, this concept over and over again. And in chapter 14 of John, in verse 15, he says this. He says, if you love me, church, then keep my commands. And he says again in verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Again, in verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And then in the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 10, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So, okay, Jesus, we love you. What's your command? Will you get to the point already? And so what does Jesus say? Well, in verse 12 and 13, he says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. What's Jesus' command? He says, if you love me, you will love one another. He's talking to the church here at this time, by the way. Do you love one another? Now, I get that what Jesus is commanding isn't exactly easy, right? Laying down your life. Has, has anyone in here ever laid down their life for somebody else before? Like, it's hard, right? He's asking a pretty big deal. And people won't always be easy. People will let you down. People will hurt you. People will disappoint you. But it is worth it. Why? Because when we love one another, we are experiencing and displaying God's love for us. Church, we are commanded to love one another. Moving on, number three is this. It is necessary for our growth. I'm in Ephesians chapter four, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, in Christ, when we are one as a body and when we are living the way that God has designed us to do, just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, the body builds itself up in Christ and grows together. Continuing on, number four, we need Christ-centered community because... It is how we fulfill our purpose. I'm in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul is using the analogy of the body of Christ again, and he says in verses 15 through 20, he says, Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, I think that includes you and me, just as he wanted them to be. 
If they were all one part, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, but one body. See, the Spirit has designated a role for each of us in the body of Christ to play, and we don't fulfill our purpose unless we are doing that, because that is how God designed us to be. And lastly is this. We need Christ-centered community because it is essential to our mission. Now, I won't spend a whole lot of time here. Matt's going to talk a little bit more about this idea next Sunday. Um, But I love this. Uh, In John 17, uh, just a couple chapters later from what we quoted earlier, in verse 20 through 21, Jesus says something really interesting. Uh, He says this, and he's praying to the Father, and he's praying about the church. Not even the disciples specifically, but everyone who would come to believe in him through their message. So I believe right now um, it's safe to say that Jesus is praying for you and me here. And this is what he says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. He says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, our unity in the body is essential to our mission as followers of Jesus. And you know, the greatest protest of an unbelieving world is not Jesus himself, as we quoted earlier from Gandhi. A lot of people like our Jesus. Man, he was a good guy, swell teacher. I love all that stuff. That's fine. So their greatest protest is not Jesus but it's a people who don't reflect him accurately. But when they do see us loving one another in community, they have a clearer picture of who Jesus really is. See, church, we're not meant to be alone. One last one for you. Uh, John, who's been called the apostle of love uh, in his uh, uh, letter, 1 John, in chapter 4, he writes this, and, and this, this might sound harsh if I were saying this to you, but I'm reading the Bible, so don't get mad at me. He writes this, he says, Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. See, to love God is to love people. To love God is to love one another. Now, some people sometimes have the tendency to just do just the opposite, to elevate community over the gospel. But let me say this clearly. You can't separate the body from the head and still have a living, breathing church. See, a community is a poor replacement for the gospel, but community is a necessary byproduct of the gospel. You can't love Jesus alone. So what do we do, church? Well, here at First Church, uh, we value community. We value togetherness. We value the body of Christ. And so one of the most important ways that we do that is by getting connected in groups and classes. And I just want to encourage you, if you are committed to being a follower of Jesus but haven't committed to uh, being together with his body, can, can I encourage you to do that? 
I mean, we've got, we've got groups. We've got men's groups, women's groups, mixed groups. We've got all kinds of groups. We've got classes. We've got classes on Sunday mornings. We've got classes on Wednesdays. We've got some new ones starting here within the next couple of weeks. There's all kinds of opportunities for you to get connected in the body, to use your gifts, to fulfill your purpose, to accomplish God's mission. Could, you, could I just encourage you to consider possibly doing that? Because that's how God has designed us to be. You know, I think back on my own life and I think about um, all the times when people were there, the, the church, the, the body of Christ, uh, to invest in me. Uh, you know, I, I think about uh, people, who were, uh, give, people who gave generously to, to me in times of my life where, where I needed it. And where would, I, where would I be without people like that? Where would I be without, you know, the friends who, who showed up and, and served and helped me in times where, where I had need, when I was broken down on the side of the road and they showed up and they were there to help out? Or about people who, who had the gift of teaching and, they, and they, they set aside a whole lot of things, they set aside money and fame and all sorts of stuff so that they could play their part in the body of Christ and they opened up my understanding to a Jesus that I didn't fully know as well and still continue to learn and grow. But where would I be without people who use their gifts to invest in me as part of the body? Where would I, where would I be without them? Where, where would I be without people like my wife, Laura, who who in my times of weakness and in struggle showed me exactly what mercy and forgiveness looks like. Where would I be without them? Where would you be? Where would you be without the body of Christ in your life? And to be totally honest with you, church, I don't even know if I, if I want to know the answer to the question. But I know this, that God has called each of us to be a part of the body of Christ and that we can't love Jesus alone. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is our head. Father, he gave his life to redeem us, to buy us back. And but God, he also gave his life so that we could be united one to another and live as your body. God, I pray that you would help us to not take that lightly, God, but that you would show us how to love one another. And God, I know we will be imperfect at that, and we will fail, and we will fail, and we will fail again. But we throw ourselves at your mercy, God, and just ask that you would build us up together as your body to reflect your, glo your glory. And God, we thank you for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we moved here in 2011 from Kansas. Didn't know anyone and hadn't really been involved in church in Kansas before. We moved here from Joplin, Missouri in 2004. We had no family whatsoever. Joined the church in 2008 uh, through the softball ministry, the sports ministry. We got to know several people. Being part of a group, I think, has been huge for us as parents and in our marriage. Um, we've just had so many different resources to to bounce ideas off of, to go through the struggles, to go through the good times, the bad times. I think being part of a life group really solidifies who's got your back, who's the first people you call when you need help, um, prayer requests, anything. Those are the people that, they're my first, my go-to. We had our first kid in our group and they just, we were blown away by the food, the what do you need, what do you need, what do you need, and the constant like just relentless love that everybody provided. I would say that our life group is uh, 
some of the most important people that we have in our lives and they're a great group. It was a community of people that just embraced us, loved us from day one. They're my, they're my family away from family. Mm -hmm. And without them, I really don't know where I would be. Uh, we had a lot of growing up to do and we did it through groups. Um, it helps, helps me learn so much more about God because I'm still young in my, in my walk with Christ. As parents in, in our marriage, we've grown tremendously because God wasn't really a, a center of our life until we found this church. Um, it's also helped us open up more to, to non-Christians and um, really kind of show them what, uh, what we are all about at the end of the day. And now we're, we're leading a group, so we're able to, to see you know, how much it impacted us, and we're able to go out and try to find people and invite people into that to say, look, uh, you know, this could change your life. And, and it's and been really neat doing that, getting to, I mean, we've, we've started a group and joined, made new groups and um, just seen families and invited them, and they've come, and I think they tell you too how amazing it's been and uh, how much they enjoy it. I would say if you're, you're getting into a group, I would consider what community is, and a community starts with you yourself. Um, and it open, you have to open up your heart, open up your mind, and be flexible. I've probably been where you're at right now. I, when we first started uh, this church, I wasn't necessarily that excited about joining a group. But from that first day when we walked in that door and those people just, you know, were so welcoming and so kind to us, um, it's, it's, it's changed everything for us. So They've just always been there for me. Um, they've become my best friends. And I absolutely, without a doubt, 100% recommend getting plugged in. Jump in with both feet, have an open heart, have an open mind. Your community will expand outside just you and your family and get so much more involved and feel so much more connected into a, a larger church like First Church. If you're looking to make that step, like, just do it. Just jump in just and you, you won't regret it. <laughs> you won't regret it at all.